Hey guys, how's it going? Before we start today's episode, Polly and I wanted to bring you an update on the show. The world's in a bit of a weird place right now, and we're lucky enough to be able to continue bringing you episodes from the safety of our self-isolation chamber, but we know that a lot of you aren't so lucky. There's a lot of uncertainty about what happens next, and being stuck inside with your thoughts can really suck sometimes. We wanted to be able to do something to help people who are feeling alone, anxious, or just plain bored right now. So... We'll be putting out an extra episode per month on the 1st and the 15th in an effort to keep creating, share some ideas, have a few laughs, and connect with you to make all our time in solitary confinement a little bit more enjoyable. So with that being said, grab your N95 mask, some hand sanitizer, or some Lysol wipes, and let's get started. Hello everybody, welcome back to Cinematics. I'm fucking Polly. And I'm Ryan. And this week, we're talking about the evolution of the Fast and the Furious series. This month, we're... uh, Talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise because the ninth one's coming out soon and it looks ridiculous. So I figured it'd be a good idea to maybe go back in time to uh, what year? What year was this? 2001, and uh, have a look at the the Fast and the Furious franchise the way it was originally intended, I suppose. And uh, yeah, the original <laughs> the original title of this one was called The Red Line. And uh, it was heavily inspired by the movie Point Break with Keanu Reeves, and it shows. That is one that I've never seen. I've seen I've seen clips of it before. There's uh there's one pretty pretty funny scene when Keanu Reeves spoilers, Keanu Reeves exposes <laughs> exposes who he is to these uh like these hippie hippie robbers, and they go to they're planning some big heist, and Keanu Reeves reveals to them that he's a FBI agent. And uh, I think there's some parallels between his acting and Paul Walker's acting in this one. Well, I mean, if you're if you're taking taking a leaf out of Keanu Reeves' book, you're doing something right. I I agree. I mean, his acting has improved over the years, and uh, even in the Fast and the Furious franchise, you could see that Paul Walker's was improving. Well, in the the first one. No, go ahead. I mean, just arguably, I, I I think. His performances in Too Fast, Too Furious are awful, but I don't think that's his fault. I think that's bad scripting. In, in this one, anyways, he's a bit of a what I call a surfboard. A surfboard. He looks pretty, but really, he's a plank of wood. <laughs> <laughs> a surfboard. I like that. Also, because he kind of looks like he'd be a surfer if he yeah, had. Long. He does, and he kind of talks like it. And Keanu Reeves talked like that in Point Break too. So that's kind of what oh, I. God. I I always thought he was a really good talker though. Like he always like enunciates really well. Like I don't think there's any time in the movies where I wasn't able to understand what he said. And I also think that that was why I had so many problems with some of his deliveries, because everything oh. was so well <laughs> pronounced and clear, but the lines were like clearly not written to be. <laughs> well, it he's easier to understand than the the man no prettier than a potato Vin Diesel. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he looks like he looks like a bit of a potato. Like I uh, I love Vin Diesel. I do too, man. Like he he's good, but I mean when it comes down a to potatoes uh, are really 
<laughs> I think it's an accurate um, description because I think it was <laughs> I can't remember what scene it was it was in in the Fast and the Furious when he I think it was when he was getting the charger and uh, it was after Jesse got killed and then it just showed that close up of him turning around I was like wow he kind of he kind of looks like a potato I don't know what it is well I do <laughs> it's like his his round head and whatever but and that he's ripped so this movie was uh, directed by Rob Cohen also no, known known for a movie called Razor's Edge starring Bill Murray. It was a war movie. I think it was like a, a romance movie. I think I saw it once. Wait. Yeah. Bill Murray was in a war movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was... It might have been World War One. I. I can't remember. But it, it, I, I think I watched it on Netflix a little while ago, back in the day. Actually, he was in another war movie, too, if you want to get technical with it, called Stripes. I don't know if you've seen Stripes before. Man, you were just throwing stuff at me that I have never heard of before. <laughs> never even. I've never been so on the back foot with like, I haven't seen that, I haven't seen that, I haven't seen that. <laughs> oh, man. I watch a lot of movies. So, directed by Rob Cohen, also known for Razor's Edge, Triple X, and uh, Dragon of Bruce Lee Story. You ever see that one? Nope, but I see it on his IMDb. Yeah, it, that's a pretty good movie. It's It's very, it's not accurate to what bruce lee experienced from what i've heard but it's a pretty good movie it's like karate kid with bruce lee and a guy that does a very good bruce lee impression i guess i think we just watched different mo oh wait a second dragon heart oh yeah he did dragon heart too he directed dragon heart <laughs> oh my god uh, that's fantastic oh hey, that makes me hey, happy what's wrong with dragon heart man no, it is it is legitimately like <laughs> top five greatest movies of all time, man. I love it. <laughs> oh god, That's, Sean Connery as a dragon is just <laughs> uh, makes me so happy. When you scowl at me, I'm gonna scorch you. <laughs> it sounded like you said squirt you. Oh, no, I said what scorch? <laughs> Wrong industry, Paul. Oh no, my on. god. Um, so the release date uh, came. It came out uh, June 22nd, 2001 by Universal Pictures. Uh, estimated budget, according to IMDb, is a whopping $38 million. Made $40 million on its opening weekend and grossed 207, over $207 million for brevity's sake worldwide. Damn. So, needless to say, it's done pretty good. Um, I mean, they're still coming out. I guess that's out. why they made so many of them. They're still coming out with them, so... Um, yeah. Everybody, everybody talks about the line "I live my life a quarter mile mile at a time," but I think Ja Rule said it best. <laughs> everyone around here happens to know a few things. And one of the things everyone knows is it's not how you stand by your car; it's how you race your car. You better learn that. Okay, so we're talking about the first three in this episode, yeah, right? Yeah. So, in release order, which means the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Tokyo Drift right um, yep. <laughs> and so i watched those three this week and it's been a long time since i've watched these films mm -hmm. yep i forgot how much actual quality character development and depth and story and themes were in the first one yeah I agree. And I forgot how bad the second one was. <laughs> well, going back to the first one, 
first off, I mean, even for the low budget that it had, it still had very good filmmaking in it. Like objectively, I think the writing was pretty good, you know, like inciting incident, like actual uh, screenplay structure, like it follows it really well. Um, and it makes promises and it delivers on them. It does. And it prevents presents interesting characters that you care about that have depth. Yeah. And I, I think it's something a lot of people can relate to, right? Like you have this guy who, you know, he's a cop and he's told to infiltrate this. What do you want to call it? Family. <laughs> Family. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. He infiltrates this group of street racers and because they're suspect of uh, stealing um, DVD players and like all sorts of electronics from trucks in the middle of the night and everything. So he gets, he starts to question himself after a while because he's, he spends so much time with this group that he actually starts to understand them as people. And he, they take him in and then he feels more accepted by them over, you know, this career choice that he made working, eventually working for the FBI and becoming a, a detective. Well, I mean, it's really, to me, was really sold because every time he, he goes back to his cop friends to make a report, it's just antagonism. I mean, mm -hmm. every single person in the room is on his ass telling him he's not doing a good enough job and then trying to make him take the fall when they push him too far and he has to do something that isn't right for the situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like everything, everything he's put with when he's with his supposed real family is negative. And then he comes to these like people who are supposed to be criminals and horrible people yeah. and like, and really, they're just misfits at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, Vin Diesel has an anger problem. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we also learned that this anger problem is only a problem when it comes to family and people messing with the people he cares about, you know? So it's like the, kind of a gray area. Yeah, and at least his teammates on the force, I guess, like the one guy that kind of points him in the right direction, even though he doesn't agree with him, is his... Uh, his like car punny sergeant, the geeky guy with the glasses and the mustache or the goatee. Yeah, his his sergeant, Sergeant Tanner, played by Ted Levine. He seems like he has uh, Brian's best interest at mind, kind of, and he's always kind of talking to talking to him in like car euphemism euphemisms, if that is a euphemism. It's true. And he, I don't know, it's it's like he's like the little angel on his shoulder, even though he doesn't agree with the way Brian is kind of leaning, he kind of points him that way because he's like, Hey man, I get you're really like having a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a job that has to get done and, and you can see, you can tell that Tanner's someone that has, they, they, they've worked together for a while. They know mm -hmm. each other. They actually have a relationship. And I mean, that FBI guy, uh, Bilkins, he, he's an outsider who comes in and stomps all over everybody and kind of fits like, the FBI trope of, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come in and take command, yeah. but then I'm going to blame you for all the mistakes that you made doing my orders. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of a lot of tropes I noticed in the film. Oh, big time, yeah. To me, it was very much a product of its time. Oh, for sure. It's very, it's very 2001. Um, yeah, just from the, yeah, just the opening titles, just the music and everything, you're like, yep. You see a guy using oh, a flip God. phone, you're like, I remember when I saw that back in the day, I was like, dude, that guy's got a flip phone, that's badass. Right. <laughs> it's just one of those things when you look back at like 2000, 2001, and you're like, whoa, like, look at all this cool stuff. It doesn't get any better than oh, this. Oh, is that a Motorola the, Razor, these, man? These cars have TVs in them. <laughs> what? TVs in your car, <laughs> man? This guy's playing Gran Turismo in his car. What the hell? 
<laughs> I actually, you know what? I love that. I that thought was that awesome. was great. Yeah. That was that was a really nice quirk because like everybody, they, uh, something I thought I noticed was that they did a really good job of not stereotyping every single, uh, like everybody that was involved in the car, the the street races and things were obviously not the worst of the worst criminals. There was a lot of people there who just loved cars, you know, like that guy who was so anxious to race and so excited to race that he was playing racing games before <laughs> the race. I'd say the movie also had really good pacing in terms of just uh, the writing and the editing. Like it didn't, it didn't, I mean, for a movie called Fast and the Furious, it didn't feel slow at any particular point in time. Like it always felt like it was moving forward at a consistent pace. That was another it thing I really liked. It didn't feel slow, but it also didn't make you feel like it was pushing you along, which I appreciated. You know, it's like yeah. when you're in those racing moments and when you're in those chase moments and whatever, there's the camera movement and the the action is is all very obviously designed to make you uh, feel that rush. But then then you'll have scenes where they're sitting in their backyard eating chicken, and it's like yeah, it's got this sort of relaxed feel that lets you take a break from all that and yeah get to know people yeah just kind of you know you know especially after like after they make the supra and everything after he gives them the supra after they lost the uh the eclipse um yeah it was kind of cool just seeing them really give a shit on the on the car and then you know once everything kind of settled they kind of settled too a little bit that was that was one thing that i think too failed at despite the fact that our main character is still brian o'connor and that we know him carrying over from the first one. I felt like I didn't give a shit about anybody in that movie because we never had an opportunity to stop and be with uh, those characters and learn anything mm-hmm. about them. Like the most we get is that a bit of backstory on um, the relationship between Brian and uh, oh no, what's it? it's an R. Oh, oh um, Rome. Rome, yeah. Roman yeah. Pierce. And and I mean like their 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 story is interesting and their their relationship is yeah. interesting. But when it got to the end and they leaned on that fence in the sunset and they're like, Oh, well, we'll do this together. Well, you're not alone anymore or whatever. I mm-hmm. had absolutely zero emotional response. Yeah. I gave not a <laughs> shit about either of them and whether they were gonna be friends at the end again or not. Yeah. Because you don't get to witness anything that shows them really interacting you know it's all just go 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 i'd say uh i'd say fast or too fast too furious is a good example of too much plot and too little story (laughs) like there's right there's really there's really no background for anything like you knew that in the second one rome was pierced uh rome was pierced at brian he was pissed (laughs) at brian because he he was a cop and he basically threw him under the bus as far as i remember from that movie anyway it's just that's all there is and then you don't see anything else after that it's just kind of them yeah. doing antics and being like hey man you're a good driver so are you let's let's be friends yeah essentially like i having had watched it like two days ago um the over the entire arc of their relationship is they were friends growing up they were the shit disturber kids in high school who got in trouble all the time um, but not major trouble with the law, just like hijinks and mischief. Um, and then they, they left high school and Brian went and became a cop and Roman hates cops for an undefinable reason mm-hmm. because he doesn't hate them after he gets arrested. He hated them before he got arrested. 
And the only line we get for that is, oh, I got a problem with authority. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, and the only the only cop that he really seems to hate is Brian anyways. Yeah, I mean, he interacts with all the other ones in a semi-reasonable manner, except for being a bit of a dick. But he's a bit yeah. of a dick to everybody. Yeah, the only other one I could possibly say that he had a problem with was that other FBI agent that he shot at. But that was only because they showed up when they were when they were supposed to. Well, they weren't supposed to. It was a really stupid thing for them to chase on that. But, but yeah, and then and then you find out later that Brian had absolutely no idea that they were making a move on Rome and that his arrest and everything about that situation, Brian was completely in the dark about and didn't know what was happening. But Rome blamed him anyways. And then on the turn of a dime, he doesn't anymore. Yeah, exactly. Of one line that Brian says to him in anger and a fist fight that they had. Uh, and I don't know, you would think too, like, cause Brian lets Dom go at the end of this after he crashes his charger and everything. And after all that stuff with Johnny Tran and triads and everything, like he lets him go because he had like, it's because like, as, as the movie goes, you can kind of see that nobody really has any kind of code. Like you could use the no Monica thing where she's like, if you win, you get me, but if you win, you get her too. But then he lost and then he lost everything. And I think Brian might've maybe notice that that like people just didn't have a code and dom was and dom and his crew were the only ones that really had a code and i think that's what like one of the major themes of the movie is is like honor and loyalty and respect and everything else right and fast and the furious didn't really seem to have that it's just like too fast you mean oh yeah too fast yeah like that would have been good to keep in the keep in the set of themes i guess for the movie was just to keep that kind of going they tried to wrap it around at the end, right? Where Rome basically is like, is that why you let that other guy go? Because you couldn't stop me from being arrested? That part felt kind of like, oh, we got to we gotta tie in why this story is so oh, yeah, important yeah. To, to Brian or whatever. But like, he's, yeah, he, to, to what you said, it, it's so disconnected. In the first one, it's all about family and honor. And he's he's fighting for, you know, trust and, and a, a system of being true to your word and, and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then... And he realizes that the cops that he's working for aren't aren't that. And I mean, it, it's not a hundred percent perfect in its its presentation of that. But I think mm. that that's kind of what they were going for. But then he he leaves the cops and goes on the run and completely loses all of that. Seems to lose all of that sense of honor and, or at least stops thinking about it. It was just pretty much tits and ass. Like, that's pretty much all it was in, like, some cool yeah. cars. <laughs> yeah. You, you you can tell there was a bit of interference there. You know, the first one came out with, like, some intention, and the second one came out as a as a way to make more money. Oh, also. yeah, big time. Yeah. I'm surprised because John Singleton directed that. Like, John Singleton did um, 8 Mile. He did Four Brothers, Boys in the Hood, um, and some other ones. But um, So fairly, fairly... Yeah, he's got well a good known. he's got a good track record. Yeah. So yeah. I, I will I will say before we get too far off, I, I did want to say about that that end scene. I loved like ninety five percent of it. You know, I loved that they they had this moment where where Brian was able to avenge Jesse um, and mm. sort of level the playing field by showing that he wasn't like every other cop. Um, and then they have that quarter mile and, and Dom gets to drive his car. And I love that the, the charger gets crashed at the end. I thought mm. that, that was 
that was a good way to go rather than just leaving it unscratched. Um, and then he hands the keys and they, they part ways. And I'm like, this is great. Everything about this should be perfect. But we got to the end and something felt weird. Okay. I don't know what it was. I don't know if you maybe felt the same, but like it, it, it I don't know if it felt, it felt rushed maybe or, or abrupt, like, yeah, like it, it didn't, it didn't feel like the movie was coming to an end. I guess it felt like everything happened and there wasn't quite the same level of falling action and time to sort of wrap up. I know what you're saying, but I, I have two, I have two things for that. Uh, the first one is the whole movie is really fast paced. Right. And like, after Dom crashed the charger, you could hear the sirens coming. So that's when that was the moment Brian just had to make his choice. He's like, okay. And then there was never really any time for them to kind of like say like, you know, true like bro goodbye sort of thing. And and also they shouldn't have done that because they weren't bros either. I don't think, right. They were just, I guess, I guess by that point they're not, but you know, there, there was respect there anyways. And then I guess, my second part of it would be um, the prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. Did you did you watch that? I did. I did not know that was a thing. Dude, that that's what Too Fast, Too Furious should have been. Just Paul Walker on the run trying to make money and get away? Yeah. Yeah, just make money, get away, do street races. Like, maybe you could throw in some other elements from, like, maybe the last movie in there. Like, some characters or maybe... No, you don't even have to bring the other characters into it because at the end of the day it's really about well i mean now it's not but i before i feel like it was about <laughs> brian i mean it you was know? it was it, it was his journey and and you could tell that the movie was done the story was finished that was it was a story about a man who had to question everything he believed in and and make a, ch a hard a hard choice and and it's the kind of story that regular people have to think on and deal with in everyday lives and and it was complete and then they did so well that they decided to continue the franchise and and then vin diesel refused to be involved in any of the the sequels for a while which is what he was doing anyways because uh the only reason i guess but the only reason he was in tokyo drift was because they sold him the rights to the riddick uh, I, franchise. yeah i saw that yeah yeah so which i'm like you genius <laughs> you genius he, and and he in a way saved that that franchise because pitch Dark yeah. was a great movie and i loved chronicles of riddick but it was a bomb it did not do well. yeah that's what i heard but his uh his his third one actually found a modicum of success yeah um, but I, I would agree with you i think that i think that the story was always about brian and the problem that I had with the second one was entirely based on the fact, well, not entirely. It was hugely based on, like I said, the fact that I didn't give a shit about any of the characters. Yeah. E even Brian, who I had cared about before, but like he's, he, he felt fake. He felt like he was putting on a persona in a way that didn't line up for me. Yeah. And I think if it had been him on the run and if they brought back some, maybe some of the other characters or something or like connected it to, you know what would have uh, been you know what would have been cool? Uh, sorry, this still just this popped in my head now, but let's like let's hear it. <clears throat> what if he was he was driving and I'm gonna talk more about the car that he's driving in this because it's one of my favorite cars ever. But um what if he was what if he was driving and he was just going through the desert or something and he's seen he's seen his Supra 
And then it was kind of like indicating that like maybe Dom was like kind of nearby or something. Like what if he just saw his or saw his uh, super like in in a ditch somewhere or like just abandoned or whatever. Like that would have been pretty cool, I think. That, that would have been super cool. Yeah. And, and it didn't wouldn't have even needed to be a big thing. It could no, have been just he could have like just been passing by and see a super a quiet scene. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I, I think that they tried to raise the stakes, mm-hmm. which I mean, that's what you have well, to do. If you're making fair. a sequel, you have to raise the stakes. You have to expand on the world. But um, but they went so generic and too too big with it, you know. Yeah, and you could even argue, and I think this is why I like the prelude so much that the turbo charge prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. But it, it's on YouTube, right? People can find yeah, it yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah. It's it's really good. But um, uh, I, mean, I feel for like a short the film it was super interesting. Yeah, and I've. I think um, the stakes were actually higher in that because it was it was Brian's freedom on the line, and in this he's just kind of going around doing whatever he wants in Too Fast Too Furious. Like even with even with the trackers on the cars, it's not like they're really, you know, putting any any sort of heat on them or anything like that. Except when it's convenient, it's like I think Brian's freedom and his own sovereignty is more at, at more of a, a um, a stake than you know just him having to work for the police to clear his to clear his name i don't know that just seems to make more sense to me it, no it does for sure i i would agree I, one thing i would say is that i i i enjoyed watching the the prelude quite yeah. a bit it yeah. was fun yeah um it didn't feel like there was any stakes in it for me Okay. Because there was there didn't seem to be a challenge ever. Like he didn't. He no, was never, like there were there was moments where like oh the cops are here I better I better get out of here now kind of thing. Yeah, um, I, I guess I guess what I meant was, um, just the idea. I, I guess just the idea yeah. of it for me. Like if you ex, if if you expanded on it, then you could make it something about that, which I think would be a a more appropriate uh, sequel to Two or to Fast and the Furious than Too Fast. You, Too you Furious could make was. it a real damn good picaresque story out of that. Yeah. Um, picaresque meaning like a journey somewhere. Like it's people walking mm. or You're, traveling somewhere. Like, like a, a, a hero's journey book. kind of, kind yeah. of uh, story. But, it, but it, it specifically is like point A to point B. Like Lord of the Rings, Frodo has to walk to Mordor or like yeah. Don Quixote, they're traveling, whatever, all that kind of stuff. That's a picaresque story. But the one thing I also liked about the first one was uh brian lost his first race he didn't go in there and just like slaughter everybody like he got his ass kicked the first race and afterwards like even though brian lost you could see something in his eyes he's like dude he's like this was the best thing that ever happened to me and then he he went up and accepted his defeat with a like with a smile on his face like i i don't know that's i i I agree that whole that whole moment was quite nice you know it was a really good character moment for him to you can see he's not a sore loser and he's just, he's there and he's, he's doing what he's there to do. And regardless of how it panned out, he, he was, he was having a good time. He was enjoying himself, which yeah. I guess foreshadows him falling into it even more. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about it. Also longest quarter mile on the face of the earth. You, you sent me that guy's channel, Craig. Um, oh, Craig Lieberman. Yeah. Yeah. Craig Lieberman, Lieberman, who was one of, he was like kind of in charge of the cars on these movies. Um, 
he has a in one of his videos he talks about that race mm-hmm. and he calculated it out and and he said I think it was actually like something like eight miles or five miles they were actually going. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, oh, it's a quarter mile. I'm like, yeah, that's sure. Where did you learn? Yeah, because a quarter mile, things? like at a car like that, would take you like maybe 13 seconds. You know, 10 seconds? That, ten, they're 10-second ten, ten ten cars? Yeah, they're 10-second cars, but, you know, a lot of them are also like 13 or whatever. But True, uh, yeah, yeah. If you if you watch a lot of his videos on the... Yeah. Uh, he talks about that, that's true. Also, I like... Uh, I like I like the nitrous in these movies. They always like launch you into hyperspace. Yeah, I, that was something I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> mention. Was the the special effects are, um, well, first of all, they're very two thousand and one, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, I remember watching it at the time, and I remember thinking, thinking them. yeah, thinking that's what NOS actually did. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, I mean, dude. I look at it from a from a VFX perspective, mm-hmm. and I see how much it saved them in post doing oh, that sure. type of effect because oh, yeah. it hides the weirdness in the green screens really, oh, really yeah. well. Mm-hmm. You know, so like yeah. when you're when you're filming on green screen like that, and if there's a bleed or if there's a warping or something, it's just gonna blend into that weird warpy colored effect anyways and it saves you it would say it would have saved them a lot of time in post i'm Mm. sure doing those those process yeah yeah big time um i also i also had the idea of it giving being like a like an adrenaline shot like that's probably what it like to to an actual driver that that might be what nitrous feels like i've never driven with nitrous before but you you could almost maybe picture that like it's just like an adrenaline shot and when you hit that button you're just like oh my god it's especially like for people like vin diesel or like like dom and, and whoever you know who are are so wrapped up in that quarter mile that when they hit mm. that button you just know they're they're half erect already <laughs> <laughs> you remember that scene from 2001 a space odyssey when he goes through that wormhole or whatever yeah Imagine if that's what they did. That like that's how they did it. Oh my god! <laughs> just crazy, like five minute long sequences of weird colors. Just like <laughs> Like they just saw the other side. You see Brian like fall out of his car at the end. His hair is all messy, and he's like, <laughs> he's like one point twenty one gigawatts. He's like forty years older. He's like, oh my god, <laughs> what the what the hell just happened? That's the what things Nostos. I've seen, man. <laughs> that was actually, you know, something I just thought of that I think might have bothered me about one to two or two to one. I guess I felt like in number two. There was a lot, or number one, there was a lot more actual practical driving. Mm. Whereas I oh, felt like the yeah. editing of the of the sequences in in Too Fast was so disorienting, and and there's there's, there's a certain level. I mean, you know, it was started with um, Born Identity would be the first one that really made it mainstream but like obviously in these movies too of like you get in tight you shoot no longer than three se- hold no longer than three seconds on a single shot and you you break the 180 all the time and it disorients people and it makes it so that you don't have to actually do anything 
potentially risky oh with yeah, your, yeah, with yeah. your scene right because yeah like, so if you I, I see what you're saying yeah quick shot of the shifter quick shot of the pedal quick shot of him looking out the window quick shot of a car down like it bounces around so much that they don't have to actually do any driving right yeah um, no that's a good point and it there were honestly moments in the second one where i started to feel motion sick from some oh, really? of the sequences yeah and i don't oh, i don't get motion sick for any reason but I was I was watching some of these and I'm like it's making me feel nauseated watching these edits, <laughs> and I it not like uh, oh this is so well done it's like whatever it was like it's so unnecessarily excessive you know mm-hmm. yeah I was actually just thinking like uh, the very the very first scene when you see the uh, the eclipse and uh, like Brian's. Brian's shifting and he's he's hitting the clutch and he's and he's hitting the gas pedal and you can see the gauges and stuff like imagine if you were to do a drinking game in that just in that one scene you'd probably be freaking dead before before you even met Dominic or whatever probably (laughs) you'd be under the table 45 minutes into the movie unconscious (laughs) just blop 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 just like fucking throwing back shots faces be beat red in like two seconds the more cuts you have the less each cut means and in the the movies that i've made and the movies that i really like they don't use a lot of cuts like like look at john wick as an example you know i mean there's four minute long fight scenes where they cut maybe three times and they just watch Mm -hmm. the actors do the thing whereas when you make all of these cuts, and to a certain point, there's there's an artistic means. Like, Edgar Wright does sure. really well those quick cuts. But mm-hmm. he uses them sparingly in the right way that, to have an effect and doesn't do it too much. But these guys went, I think they went overboard. I don't know. And are you saying in Too Fast, Too Furious or Fast and the Furious? S- specifically Too Fast. It didn't bother yeah. me at all in the first one. Yeah. Because you could actually tell what the hell was going on, too. Yeah, I mean, I can see where there were moments where it got really quick. But, like, they didn't overdo it. And when they did it, it was with good reason, you know? Yeah. Whereas the second one, it was like they were trying to avoid having to drive cars. So they just shot inserts to save money. Right, right. And then yeah. smashed them together. <laughs> A little bit about, I guess, a little bit about the cars, and this all this is all coming from uh, Craig Lieberman's channel. You should go check it out. He's got a lot of cool Fast and the Furious stuff on there that I don't can't mention all of it because there's just so much. But uh, according to him, the the Supra, the the Hero Supra, could actually beat Ferraris. Like that's how fast that thing was. Dang, I gotta say, I mean, I I love the Supra. Oh, me too, it, man. How it could you has not? been for most of my life and still probably is my favorite car. Like, really? if I were to have a dream car, it would probably be a 2004, 1999 to 2004 Toyota Supra. So they had four They had four of each main car. So, like, uh, Dom's RX-7, uh, Brian's Supra, Brian's Eclipse, um, the Maxima that Vince drove... Uh, the Sylvia that Letty drove, the Skyline that Vince... I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember all these. The Skyline that Leon drove. There's so many cars. And the Jetta that Jesse drove. They had four of each of those. 
and one was for called the hero car which is meant for close-ups and beauty shots and stuff uh the hero 2 was meant for longer fast um driving stuff and then there was stunt one and stunt two which were obviously stunt cars and then they also had something uh called a buck that they would film the actors in front of the green screen with and put them in later put it on like a, a bouncy yeah a little bouncy airbag machine. like hydraulic thing and do that kind of that kind of stuff there's actually times in the movies where you can see that they're not using the same car that the actor is in so i think i think it was one of the scenes with letty they're actually using a honda civic uh piece for her car they, they were doing it with uh with jesse's car too oh yeah it was jesse's and johnny trans i think actually yeah, 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 yeah. Because the the S two thousand was going to be expensive to have it chop up. For, yeah, yeah. The original Hero Supra too still exists in the same condition as it was in the movie. It's in the hands of a private collector right now, which I think is awesome because a lot of these cars uh, usually get totaled or they get repainted or or whatever. So it's kind of cool to see somebody uh, keep keep the Supra in its original its original state. Yeah, well, and considering it's like it's a a movie for car lovers, you know, like they're literally catered to and made for people who love cars. Actually, mm-hmm. um, these movies were made. Uh, they weren't actually made for car people. They were made for so? pe- people who knew very little about cars, because there's the uh, the um, danger to manifold scene which Craig Lieberman said, because like, I know a little bit about cars, but I don't know too much. So I automatically assumed the uh, danger to manifold scene was uh, like something that would actually happen in a car, but apparently it's not. Well, and, I, I remember watching that video of his and, and he was he was like, oh, they're not going to understand what that is. And there's better ways to say it. Exactly. I think it's still somewhat it's accurate. Re- it's realistic just, enough. Yeah, but it, it wasn't understandable to people who had no knowledge. Exactly. Maybe I'll revise my statement and say that it's it's not necessarily made for people who are love cars to a point where they're mechanics and they're street racers and they're tuners. And oh, whatever. okay, yeah. It's more okay. made for for people who love the idea, mm-hmm. but don't themselves don't find themselves in like that kind of life or want to put themselves in that sort of life. Right, they just want right. to experience it and then walk away from it. Yeah, that's true. It's a it's a spectacle. It's the spectacle yeah, of all the colorful cars. Yeah, because I think if you didn't give cars. a shit about cars, you probably wouldn't give a shit about watching this movie in a lot of ways. Well, I think this movie is, because when I was younger, I wasn't really into cars that much, but I think this is one of the movies that kind of made me want to learn more about it just because of the way they, they talk. Oh, actually, here's a fun little thing. So people who wanted to make replicas for these cars uh, had a trouble or had a lot of trouble finding the right colors for them because it, the whole movie has a warm filter over it. So when people would go to look for the green of the Eclipse or the orange of the Supra or any of the other colors, it was really hard for them to pin down. Unless you were to know the specific details of what the filter was, which I yeah, assume was true. done in camera, not in... Yeah, that's what post. I'm thinking too, yeah. but um, Although, I mean, it, it could have been a, uh, an adjustment in, in color grading. Yeah, that's what I would be uh, assuming as well, because I've seen these cars in person when I was younger, and obviously I didn't they just look different in real life. Like they look smaller too. Cause you know, the lens is at on 10 pounds. Well, yeah. Right. But, uh, they look smaller and then the colors look different. Like it wasn't something I really took notice of, but I knew there was something different about it. And then when I learned that, I was like, Oh, that's why they look different because the, the filters that they use on the cameras and the times that 
they shoot and whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So my my thoughts on Fast and the Furious, pretty solid movie, like in terms of like form and editing and story for the most part. Like I think it's a pretty solid movie and I think it gets a lot of flack sometimes for being Fast and the Furious just because I think the new one's kind of, you know, for people who haven't seen the old ones, they might be like, oh, Fast and the Furious, that stupid franchise. I totally agree that the first one is overall actually like a pretty objectively well-made film and i mean it also inspired need for speed underground which i used to play the shit of out of when i was younger too so that's oh, uh, dude i love that game actually i have a i, I won't name names but i have a, a a funny story about something that was really fast and the furious-esque that happened when i was like Ooh, 11, when i was 11 so i was driving with somebody and they they have uh, a t-roof on their car and they uh, they didn't. Was it a Trans Am or a Camaro or something? Similar, similar, but um, they didn't latch. They didn't latch the um, <laughs> the T roof oh, down no. all the way, and oh, it, no. it it jumped up and the wind caught it and it fucking it flew like oh. sev- like seventy <laughs> feet in the air. I was just sitting oh, there riding in this, and all of a sudden I hear this whoosh. <laughs> I look back and the thing was just just twirling in the air, smashed all over the road and everything. But uh, that was oh, that... they're lucky someone's car didn't get hit. Holy yeah, shit. yeah, I know. But uh, pretty, it was. <laughs> so I was like, I was like eleven or twelve when it happened, and I was like sitting there, and I was really quiet, and then I just busted out laughing. It was like <laughs> the the <laughs> the defining Fast and the Furious moment because it reminded me of when Brian let the sunroof go on the on the supra when he was saving vince that's exactly what it reminded me of (laughs) i think that's i think that's why i started laughing but uh yeah fast the furious one and kind of two and some of two which brings us to too fast too furious or as i call it quarter mile (laughs) because yeah because uh john singleton directed eight mile so i guess the sequel to eight mile would be quarter mile anyways i dig it I'm into or, it. Or three sixteenths. I don't know. Whatever you want to it's call a, it. It's a it's it's a one eighth <laughs> mile because it's like eight mile, but one, but like, one more of those. One it's, less of them. Like, it's it's like if it were eight mile, but not good. So then like. Oh, I see. So one even divided. Yeah. Sorry. Six, that, that was a really poorly constructed <laughs> joke. <laughs> oh god i'm gonna go hide now i don't think my joke is working (laughs) (laughs) but i'm gonna keep trying to explain it until it's funny (laughs) does not compute (laughs) (laughs) so uh fast and furious came out on june 6 2003 on a budget of 76 million dollars it didn't do well too furious yeah too fast too furious so 76 million didn't do well the opening weekend only brought in 50 million a little over 50 million and grossed 236 million worldwide. So it did pretty good worldwide, I guess you could say. Made his budget back. But it was still it was still considered a relative failure, I think, overall. Oh right? yeah, like it was yeah, not... domes- domestically, anyways. Yeah, it, so. I mean, it kind of embodies American film in a lot of ways, or at least what people thought of American film in in the 2000s, I think. Right. Which is maybe why it did better in the foreign market. Mm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of imports and, you know, tuner cars. And yeah, all I mean, that all, kind of also, stuff, so. also that. Yeah. So we talked about the, we talked about the, uh, 
the the prelude or as i call it uh i i don't know i just seem to make up enough like all these names for shit but i call it prelude a fast and the furious story um, do, you, do you get it it's like rogue one anyway oh it's funny because <laughs> it's oh because <laughs> because we did that podcast but anyways yeah yeah um, i get it <laughs> So uh, we we talked about what could have been if they just made the prelude into the Fast and the Furious two or two Fast Two Furious. But the the one thing, the one thing, is the fifth generation six speed inline six twin turbo two point six liter electronic fuel injected all wheel drive three hundred and twenty horsepower two eighty on paper nineteen ninety nine Nissan Skyline GTR R thirty four. That's that's a fucking mouthful. My favorite car, <laughs> dude. I I don't know. I watched this again and I because like the Skyline's always been one of my favorite cars. And I looked at it and I was like, dude, I'm gonna start. I just I just started doing so much so much research on the Skyline, and I was just like, holy shit! Like that's why this movie specifically got me into cars is just because of that Skyline. I wasn't like I mean, overly overly crazy about the ones in the first one but when i saw that skyline i was like i was like 12 years old i was like oh my god that's the coolest car ever that's fair that 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 was me with the supra when i saw it um, and maybe that's why i love super so much mm. now um but i will also admit the gtr is like probably number two if only they hadn't put such a god-awful paint job on it yeah i i like that paint job when i was younger but as i i've grown older it looks like it looks like something a twelve-year-old kid would like. Yeah, yeah. like I take I take the neon. I leave the body kit on. I take the neon lights out. I take the the I graphics take the fucking off. Stripes off that. Yeah, thing. and the and the stripes. <laughs> oh, they're hideous. Yeah, I'm it sorry. Looks... Like I I get you know you put them on a muscle car and they look better. Um, sort of. I I don't even like racing stripes on muscle cars. I think they're kind of dumb. Um. But I mean, like to me, those JDM cars need need color and not stripes, you know. Like I would prefer mm-hmm. like a nice skyline blue, you know, as yeah. the whole base paint job, right? Rather than well, that's just me. Yeah, I like I like the silver. I think I think silver is a good color for a skyline. But um, yeah, those those graphics, man, those were those were really bad. But they. They only used them to differentiate those cars from all the other cars in the movie. So that's why they had all the crazy paint jobs and stuff, right? Because they're cutting so fast and swishing their cameras around so much that you can't tell what the car is unless the paint jobs are so different. Well, and the other thing that pissed me off about this movie, and I, I for some, I don't know, but why did they use, why did they use CGI for the first race? Like, that has got to be one of the worst things you could ever do in a car movie that claims to have like all these stunts and stuff, you know, it's like, why are you putting, why, why are you putting CGI in this and the bridge jump? That was stupid too. But anyway, well, this, this <laughs> is, we were talking last episode about how part of the reason we wanted, you wanted to do this run is because we wanted to talk about these movies and how they jump the shark and where that yeah. happens. And, and for me, it's already started here. I mean, mm-hmm. The first one was grounded for the most part in realism. It was it was cars doing races and it was people doing real people things. And 
this one is the beginning of the Hollywoodization of it. You know, it's just, it's pulp fiction designed to be consumed without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's meant to just be ridiculous and excessive action. What is, I'm sure it's like when we get to eight, nine or whatever, there won't be a comparison in many ways, but as of right now, this is the beginning already. Yeah, and those movies are comic books on their own, right? Like, they're cartoons, but... I, I don't know. I think saying that is an insult to comic books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But, uh, you know, this one, it, it was still had some grounding in reality somewhat, right? Like, Sure, yeah. It's just, it was a street race. It, it, I get it. Like, you want to make it exciting, but I don't know, man. I mean, this isn't Sicario, so why are you trying to take down drug lords? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, you made a you made a, a comment earlier about I think it was something to do with Jason Bourne, and I actually made a, yeah. a Jason Bourne um, note in mind where because the guy Carter he was one of Matt Damon's friends in Goodwill Hunting. Wait, really? Yeah, he was one of he was one of Matt Damon's friends. So he went off to be a drug lord after Matt Damon left Southie, and then Matt Damon Goodwill Hunting went off to be Jason Bourne. He was uh his his brain was surgically operated on so he became a super perfect serial killer man who has no memories. He doesn't remember the good man he was before. <laughs> you you heard it here Jason Bourne isn't David Webb. He's uh Will Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what happened and then his other buddy went off to be a drug lord in Miami in Too Fast Too Furious only to be taken down by a guy pretending to be a gangster. <laughs> and also, why why would you substitute a skyline for an Evo? Out of the skylines, though, like there were there was only there was only like four of them in the country. Those were the only legally imported ones. I thought they weren't legal. Now I'm just basing everything because you sent me Craig's channel, so I'm basing everything I know about this off of what I saw because I knew nothing about the backstory of the cars. I before. think the Skylines they're still illegal in the states only because um, the Moto X exporters they were like really shady and they weren't doing their due diligence, and then just before um, they went under, that's when they got those Skylines. So those are the only legal ones that you'll ever see in the states, apparently. Or were at the time. I mean, to get them in at the time, they had to. There was a process where you had to import them, and you had to you had to do a bunch of stuff to the car so that it yeah. could be legally driven. Yeah. And the ones that they brought in, uh, this Craig was saying, like, what it would have added like twenty thousand dollars per car, something like to that, make them yeah. legal. Yeah. So technically, the 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 picture cars are not street legal at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because of the whole Moto X thing, technically they're not even supposed to be there at all. But then the other thing is like the the reason on the Evo is because they had that uh, overriding contract essentially with Mitsubishi, whereas by they had to use Mitsubishi as the main vehicle. Yeah. You should really go check out that channel. He's got a lot of really cool insights on how how the actual process of using picture cars, especially picture cars that you know risk being broken. Uh, and especially rare ones like this, uh, how that process is done. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so it's it's super informative if any of you are interested. Yeah, and it's a good uh, it's a good resources for how they allocate resources. Like a lot of the cars that they used in the first one were in the second one, like the all the Eclipse uh, doubles and stuff. And the Supra was um, Slapjack's car. The RX-7 was Orange Julius's car. The S2000 was Johnny Tran's car. So they 
reuse so much and it's a it's a good way to know how you might be able to reuse resources from other things that you do everything can be repurposed exactly <laughs> did you watch the uh did you watch the outtakes the bloopers yeah the outtakes were pretty good but the one thing i wanted to kind of point out was uh paul walker actually crashed one of the skylines into a parking meter so they left that in the movie and then that's how he ended up getting the evo which i think was cool i kind of like that that little harpoon gun for the cars that just mess with its electronics i would love to know if that's a thing i think it's real i don't know if it is because I, I i think maybe they have something like it but that specific one was made by a props department no i mean i don't think they have like harpoon claw shooty stabby things <laughs> okay. but like I, I feel like there's probably a EMP-style deterrence for people who mm. have these. Because everything about these cars is all computer-controlled, mm -hmm. right? So if you yeah. can shut down the computer, the car is not going to function. Exactly. You just use a laptop, just hack it. So, something I noticed interesting, I mean, we, we talked already about how this one has started to jump the shark and it's become less realistic and, and yada yada. And I think when I – you really see it in the first – major plot point of this of the film you know they they go to this guy's place and they say all right we got all you drivers here you're going to drive to this place you're going to get a thing from the impound lot and you're going to bring it back to me that's super important the first one back here gets the job and in the first fast and furious movie character deaths mean something they're important mm -hmm. you know when jesse dies this is a huge oh, deal yeah. <laughs> And it's a huge deal, partially because nobody really dies in that movie. Mm. You know, like, even supporting characters and other people racing, like, people don't die. And that's kind of, to me, the realistic approach to how that scenario would pan out. But in this, the first time we see them really... Well, not the first time we see it. I guess it's the first time they're working together as a team... They basically cause the death of almost every driver in that competition somehow. <laughs> they, like, force them under the wheels of trucks. They oh, smash yeah. them into walls. Like, people are dropping, like, flies on this highway and just getting <laughs> smushed. <laughs> and it's like there's it's like there's no regard for for that life anymore, which means that anybody who dies in the movie no longer it no longer has any importance if someone dies because the movie obviously doesn't care about it because it just killed six people in like three minutes you yeah know? and yeah. that already kind of lost me and and i get why they did it they needed to get rid of the guys somehow and it's the easy solution to kill a character off rather than find a way to make it so that they don't come back yeah exactly they're good stunts though <laughs> They were good stunts, and I mean, I get, like, it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's targeting a certain audience, but, I mean, it obviously didn't work because people didn't like the movie, you know? It's, I think, the lowest rated besides maybe Tokyo Drift. Yeah, well, I don't know, even even Brian doesn't change as a character, like... No, everybody's flat yeah. for the whole thing, too, but, but that's just it. It's like, it sacrifices storytelling in the name of spectacle, Yeah, and... I don't know that that's always a bad thing. There are instances where where we are magicians as filmmakers. We make spectacle on screen and we make illusions and magic and and deception on screen to make these spectacles. But but as a writer and as someone who approaches film as a storytelling medium, um, 
it's offensive a little bit when I watch movies that throw it out the window in favor of someone getting their car driven over by a semi after it being pushed by the wheels, which, what? Yeah. Yeah, because he would have, his, his roof would have been scraped off that car before he even got a chance to go under the wheels. They're like, oh, well, we had the Civics driving in and out under the semis in the first one. We got to reference that somehow. I mean, it ups the ante, I guess, but it's like, eh, cool. But again, this whole movie is just like trying to up the stakes and making it too it too much. Well, like, I think a cool idea for Brian's character, like after after he crashes the skyline, to see how cocky he was. You know, at the beginning when he makes his entrance and everything, and he's using the nitrous purge and he's super cocky and everything. And then seeing that drop him down a peg, saying like, hey man, like you're not you're not as good as like Dom yet or something like that. That would have been kind of cool to see and just see him humbling, like see it humbling him and then seeing him have to get better than he was. Rather than it just being like him being, you know, having become a master racer and having no problems and just breezing through everything and getting to the end and not having learned anything or gotten anywhere. Well, I mean, they could have, they didn't even have to change much of the story. They could have incorporated that and it would have been a little bit of a better movie just because I would have seen some conflict in Brian and see it kind of shatter him a little bit. Kind of say like, huh, you're not as good as you think you are yet. Yeah. And I mean, he, he should, it's just like he forgot the first movie happened in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Like, it's cool to see Brian, like, his foot's heavier now. Like, he's he's using three nitrous tanks in the, in the skyline. Like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's, like, really good at, at racing and stuff now. But it's it's just you don't see him have to improve or anything. Like, he's just super, he's just really good. He's just really good now. You get the reward without any of the work, which feels hollow. Exactly, yeah. So, final thoughts on... Uh, too fast, too furious. You got anything more? Uh, I I was bored, honestly. Yeah. It's there's not very often that I have to fight to finish a movie, but the only reason I finished this movie is because we were talking about it. If I if we hadn't been <laughs> doing a podcast on it, I would have turned it off halfway, and I've never done that before. I probably would have turned it off after. Yeah. Yeah, it bored me. It didn't engage me in any way. It didn't even. Like, the spectacle of what it was trying to do wasn't that spectacular because it's just the same as everything else. I don't even think what it was doing at the time was that new. No. I mean, box office says that. People... I don't even remember the trailer for that movie. Boy, yeah, exactly. I, I watched it I watched it on DVD when the first time I saw it. I didn't even see it in the theater. I didn't either. I didn't see any of these in the theater, to be honest. I, I saw the, the first one and the fourth one in the theater, and then I'm going to see the ninth one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, for the podcast, we have. Yeah. Yeah. So not the best in the franchise by far. It had a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was a pretty funny movie, too. I can't say that. Like, it did have its moments where it, it had its moments. But I also felt like the, the the attempts to be a comedy and be funny took away from everything else sometimes. Oh yeah, big time. It was a it was kind of a buddy cop movie at the end of the day. Except with people who aren't cops. I will say I I did really appreciate the sort of conclusion to the contract where they they're each in their own car with the bodyguards on them and they're they've got this plan and they're pulling everything together and I mean like it's not like they drove in there and then suddenly all the cars came out when everyone was like 
super blown away at what was going to happen. You know, it didn't break any boundaries or anything for me, but yeah. it was satisfying to see something come of their their relationship where they finally where they're working together now and they've created this sort of plan and they pull it off and it's kind of clever, I guess. Well, should we uh should we talk about number 3? Yeah, let's talk about Tokyo Drift. Sort of number three and sort of number five. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. What's the order? It goes one, two, four, three, six, five, seven, eight. So if you want to watch them in sequential order. And then nine. And I then guess. nine, depending on... Well, I mean, Han's back yeah. in nine, so what are they... Oh, is he? Unless he's a clone. Unless they do something like that. It's like, yo, God, That'd be Han's a clone. Weird, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I w- You know what? At this point, nothing would surprise me. <laughs> And then if Dominic was actually a super soldier that fought oh, John Cena. We, there it is. That, that's the movie right there. Package it up, sell it, print it. You put it in a plastic box and now you're selling it. You're selling it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't stop to think about whether you should. <laughs> so from what I've seen, Tokyo Drift did not get a very positive reaction either. No, no. It was kinda... uh, mostly, I think, because there was not any related characters. Nobody knew anybody from any of the previous movies. They didn't even bring Brian into it. It was all new cast, all new location, all new race style, all new everything. Um, and apparently people didn't want that, I guess. I mean, I guess they should have learned that from Too Fast, Too Furious. But... I think the producers were saying that Paul Walker was too old or something, which is really bizarre but yeah i don't know <laughs> it's like okay. i will say though from my end i liked it better than two mm-hmm. um i first of all i think drifting is fucking cool dude it is um yeah and like while it's not the most efficient way of doing things mm-hmm. it looks sick and some of those stunts where they're like they're drifting the parking lot coming up that last turn and it's like edge to edge and like right on the wall and you're just <laughs> so cool yeah well, and i mean like i actually kind of gave a shit about some of the characters in this one mm-hmm. again yeah you know and i actually found the story engaging enough that i didn't just want to turn the movie off well because drifting was a pretty new thing like it was in need for speed underground and underground 2 and stuff but uh, oh, was it? yeah yeah you could it was something that you could do just as one of the in-game activities i guess but it was never something that you saw on screen and it's so it's so fun to watch just a very very cool way of driving. Well, and it, it it totally makes sense with with the location too, right? Because you're talking about Japan, which is uh, super crowded, so it's not like they're gonna have a ton of spaces to do the quarter mile or the eight mile, um, <laughs> you know. And like when they do have open roads, it's usually because they can't build cities there because it's on a mountain. Yeah, and the the roads are so windy and everything too that you you know you can't do drag racing or anything like that. So it makes for a really nice change of scene mm-hmm. in a way, you know. So I, I thought I thought it worked really well. Uh, I thought it brought a new dynamic to the to the franchise that it really needed. Yeah, it seemed like a logical progression because the second one it had that sprint kind of race. I'm just using my Need for Speed terminology. Oh, that relay that was kind of neat. It wasn't anything new. No, it it changed it a little bit, but it didn't. They, they, they were already going away from racing, and this kind of came back to racing, which I appreciated. And yeah. I also, I did really like 
their effects in this better and the editing in this better. Mm, mm-hmm. um, it was less an assault on my senses and more integrated, I guess. More candy. Yeah, it was it was there and it served a purpose other than just to be there. You know, it, it had a reason to exist in the form that it was besides just slapping you across the face with the effects. Yeah. So I guess this is where the uh, chronologically confused stuff happened with the Fast and the Furious skyline, because it seemed like with the introduction of Han, everything just got messed up because they kept bringing them back. And then they're like, oh, no, this is the movie that takes place before Tokyo Drift. So you're like, oh, OK. I mean, and fair. He was a he was a great character. Dude, he's he's like one of the best characters. Yeah, I really like him. He's He's got depth. He's got uh, he's got. Uh, like a defined sort of sense of character Mm -hmm. moral and rules that he follows and i mean like one of my favorite moments in tokyo drift is when he's standing with sean on the balcony and sean asks him why he let him drive the car and his response is you know what's the price of one car over seeing what a person is worth or Mm -hmm. something to that effect seeing what they're capable of yeah and he's like like that right there kind of tells you who he is he's he's someone who puts a lot of faith in the people that he has around him and he wants to have himself surrounded by a family of people he can trust you know we're with Han we are going back to to Dom a bit you know he's got this family that he builds that he wants to protect and that he wants to be able to trust and keep around him and sort of living on this kind of system of honor even though you know turns out that he was stealing from what's his nuts but at the very least, you know, he has some sort of sense of honor and moral that drives him and is consistent. Yeah, exactly. One part I thought was a little, I don't know, it was just a little over the top compared to some of the other stuff in the movie, but was that race through the uh, the construction site? Oh, yeah. That, that was a little too much for me because it's like he's driving through two by fours and like through full houses and it, like it's like, okay, first off, his his car wouldn't make it through that house. To the house probably would fall down on top of his car after he did something like that. If you'll indulge me for a moment. Sure. I do think that despite that race being quite indulgent and over the top, I think that the intro to this movie is actually one of the more well-written intros. And I say that because we are coming into new characters and a new world that we don't know. And within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I know exactly who Sean is. That's a good point. But not in a way where like he's a flat, boring character, but like, so they give you this title sequence, for example, first of all, where you see him in his life doing his things. And I mean, it, it maybe it's a little handed, you know, we, but we, we learn he's a student. We learn he likes cars and is good with cars because he's a mechanic and he works. He has like the auto shop class or whatever. We learn that he's quite apathetic through a couple of different pieces, like where he, where he sees the kid getting sprayed with the the airbrush and and he just sees it and he's like, ah, eh, whatever, I don't give a shit, walks away. So that that like that intro sequence doesn't just serve as a title sequence to amp us up, but it actually gives us character in a way that by the time we start the actual story where we know enough about Sean that we can move forward feeling comfortable as uh, observing this character. And then we get to that race 
And yes, it was definitely, there was some, definitely some pieces of it that were over the top. There was some pieces of it that were a little too much, but it's set up that he's not a good driver, which is important, you know, because everybody else that we've, we've been to, I mean, they're not, they, they might not be good racers, but they're good drivers, <laughs> but yeah. he's like taking corners and he's swinging all over the place and he's knocking over barrels and he can't keep the things straight, you know, he oh, loves yeah, cars, yeah, he yeah. loves to race, yeah. but he's not a good driver. And it establishes that subtly and, well, I mean, as subtly as, as that can be done, I suppose, <laughs> yeah, in that way. Yeah. Um, but it establishes it fairly subtly without just being like, hey, you suck at driving, bro. Nobody ever says that to him mm. until he drifts poorly. And even then, they don't say, you're a bad driver. They're just like, learn how to drift. You know, they never tell him he's a bad driver, but we know that he kind of is. Yeah, there's something, there's something there. His car has been, you know, swinging around and destroying things since the very beginning. And then that's when Han comes in and kind of, he's like, I know what your problem is. I could help you. I could help you out. You got good character. I think another one of his tests too is when he, um, he had to go get that big sumo guy. Remember when he had to go get his bunny from that guy? That was another one of his tests. He's like, all right, here's your first challenge. Go and get my money from this huge guy. He's, he's awkward and he's bumbling and he doesn't really know how to fight. (laughs) Which also is endearing because, again, he's just like he's a high school kid who doesn't know what he's doing. And it makes him, to me, I felt more connected to him because of it, you know? It's not like Brian from the last one who just can drive and can fight and can shoot and can just do everything. (laughs) You know, he's got flaws and problems and a story that is not perfect and a life that is not perfect. But yet we want him to succeed, or at least I want him to succeed more because of it. Because you know that he's got potential to be a good person and to do good things and you don't want him to to end up in a bad place yeah brian was a bit of a mary stew in the in the first one or the second mary one sorry stew? a mary stew that's a term i have not heard i've heard <laughs> mary sue but i've not heard a mary stew i'm pretty sure they say mary stew as well if it's a guy i could see that if they don't they should start yeah mary stew or maybe marty stew marty stew marty stew Joe Smith or whatever, that's just like John Doe. That's what it is. That's oh, what they John call Doe. People that they, yeah. He's an Alan Smithy, just a a man, a man with a name and no face. Isn't Alan Smithy the the name that cinematographers use if they don't want their name on a movie? I think it's what anybody uses. I think it's for directors, probably cinematographers, probably anybody who doesn't want to want their name to be seen on a movie. So there's an industry chick for you all. If you didn't know that, that's what people do. They make a bad movie and can't get out of it. Yep. Film jargon, man. That's where it's at. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps we should wrap up the episode by going back to what you wanted to talk about in the first place, which is the progression of these movies. Because we've talked about all of them kind of individually, but we should maybe bring all of that together. I, I got something. So I feel this uh, first trilogy in the Fast and the Furious series is is the struggle for the heart of the series. It started off as one thing, kind of went off on its own little on its own little journey, if you will, its own little trip, and then Tokyo Drift kind of tried to reel it back into its roots a little bit. And then four is kind of where you start to see more and more of two coming out in a lot of ways. Yeah, so I, I kind of think this was like the struggle the struggle for the series until its heart was 
put somewhere else. It's a bit of tug of war, you know. On one end, you've got the Fast and the Furious. On the other, you've got Too Fast, Too Furious, and in the middle, you've got Tokyo Drift as like the balancing point between both ends, and they're going back and forth trying to find what they want to do. I like that. It's unfortunate that they seem they probably fell on the wrong side. Yeah, kind of like Brian. <laughs> I mean, with Brian, it's a little, it's a little more. It's like, what is the wrong side? But I don't know. Is there a wrong side to this, though? You know. <laughs> That's what made that so good, you know? Yeah. Now, I hate saying, bringing things up like this in the podcast and being like, I don't know the answer. But I don't know whether there was ever... I mean, the thing with Hollywood is there's always the hope that it'll be a franchise and that the, sto- the story will not just be a one-off. But I don't know if there was ever an intention to make it... It doesn't feel like there was ever an intention to make it a long-running story. It was, it was yeah. a movie that was finished that did well and so they kept it going and it suffered by being too disjointed and disconnected you called it a trilogy and it made me twitch a bit because like it is the the trilogy in the sense that it's the first three movies Mm -hmm. but it's not a trilogy in the sense that it has any kind of real overarching connecting story uh, or theme yeah 100 percent you could call, they're all their own individual movies. Yeah, yeah, not really a trilogy, but I guess the 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 battle for Gotham's soul yeah. in Fast and the Furious terms. Well, and I mean, I, I I'm not saying that you shouldn't call it a trilogy per se because it's the first three movies and we are doing it as as a trilogy in that sense. I I still think your 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 point about like the finding the heart of the franchise is is really what it was. You know, these are three very different movies. And from these three, we got what the rest of the franchise would become. So I guess uh, just before, uh, just because I didn't, I didn't mention this for all all you people who want some kind of stats, but uh, the the budget for this movie was eighty five million. Only took home twenty three million on its opening weekend with a cumulative profit of one hundred and fifty eight million dollars worldwide. I think that says it. That says it. We could add up all the numbers, but I don't want to. So, regardless, <laughs> it made it made quite a bit of money. They're still making them, and they're making them crazier than ever. Which brings us to Fast and the Furious, or Fast and Furious. And this is also where the titles get a little confusing, and they start integrating numbers into what they're saying. When Fate of the Furious Fate. came out, <laughs> I wanted to punch the tv so badly it made me angry (laughs) just walking walking past your roommates and you just put a hole in the wall like ryan what's wrong you're like nothing i i I mean i shouldn't get mad about it i suppose because creativity is a good thing sure and it's important to you know shake it up and make it different and so in that sense like good on them for not just doing the same thing over and over again but something about that when you say Fast and Furious, because when I say that, when I say Fast and Furious, and I'm, re- I'm referring to the fourth one. People are like, are you talking about the first one or the fourth one? I'm like, oh, I'm talking about the fourth one. Yeah, the Fast and the Furious <laughs> or Fast and Furious. Yeah, or... exactly. I basically, at this point, just refer to the franchise as a whole, which we were talking about before, about how people just do that. And that's why we're making oh, yeah. this podcast. So. Yeah, it's a subconscious thing, man. It's just... It is. It's... You're just like Fast and the Furious, the whole genre. Because it's basically a genre. It's in the collective unconscious, man. (laughs) So, 
summarizing notes, I guess, um, for my end, I guess I, I feel like the first is definitely the best so far. And as far as your question of this survey goes and this point in our little experiment here, it begins jumping the shark immediately at movie two. And while it hasn't been consistently excessive, it's already by movie two is already starting to get overboard. So I guess that means that the likelihood is by the time we get to the end, there might be some rage quitting. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also got that Netflix show, which I've watched the trailer for, and I'm going to have to check out. Yeah. I wonder if they'll put those warning messages at the beginning of that show, too, because it's just... Warning messages? Yeah, you know how they're like, these stunts were performed by professionals. It's like watching Jackass. Like, oh, oh, probably. I mean, if if you look at it, it's actually rated for kids. So guaranteed it's going to be at the beginning because the idea is that it's like, oh, well, let me tell you what. See, we have this whole franchise of things catered to adults, but we're missing out on so much money. Let's make a version <laughs> of the movie for kids so that we can get more money off of this franchise. But imagine if they didn't put those warning messages and then kids were just going, well, I mean, kids go out and drive out around like reckless idiots anyways, but... Imagine if they just did it on a, a bigger scale. So here's a story for you um, to wrap this up a little bit on cultural influence. Also not naming names, but when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, I had a friend. I, I was young. like So Fast and, The Fast and the Furious came out in 2001, which means I would have been uh, nine? Yeah. Yeah, I would have been nine. Um and I remember being in middle school a couple of years later and or even even like coming on 11 years old, watching The Fast and the Furious with this friend of mine at the time who he was the only reason I got to see a lot of these things because I was my childhood life was a little bit sheltered away from <laughs> violence and things like that. OK, fair enough. Power Rangers was too violent of a movie for me to watch as a kid. Oh, okay. I'm with that you. was the rule. Um, okay. So I would watch it at his house, and he really, really took on those movies. I remember when he first got a car, he bought a Civic, and <laughs> he bought sound systems for it. He he would he bought like body kit kind of stuff for it. He bought the uh, the SRI version, so it had the turbo. Oh, okay. And and there was this one street in our town, because um, it was a small town, so like we had we had RCMP, but we didn't have a dedicated local police force. Oh, okay. And this strip, it ran from one end of town to the other. It was four lanes wide. It had a couple of lights on it, and it was just a straight flat shot. And he would go down this thing, the speed limit was 60, and he would rip it doing sometimes 120, 130 <laughs> going down the street in the middle of the night. And I, I don't know that if he was, like, trying to do quarter-mile shit or whatever, I don't know. But, like, he really embodied and took on those the, the movies as a kid, as a young adult, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can understand to a point, like, you, you can't blame the movie, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, to me, the movie is just a vessel... That'll, that people will fill with whatever they want. And so if they already have the tendency to want those things, sure, it might excite them or, or encourage them a little bit in some ways, uh, especially as a kid when you're so uh, impressionable. But 
Um, anyways, long story short, I think that putting those warnings on front of a show designed for kids is, you know, it, it has some merit. Although oh, I'm yeah. not. I'm just, I'm just wondering if they actually will, though. If they'll be like, ah, oh, kids, kids are smart enough now. They won't do that. Oh, God, no. If anything, it's the opposite. Everyone's like, kids are stupid. Kids don't know anything. We have to shelter <laughs> yeah, them enough. forever. Yeah, it's like 20, I mean, I was the odd one out 20 years ago as a kid being sheltered. Everyone else I knew was like, oh, you're going to go down to the river? Okay, yeah, sure, go swimming, whatever. And my mom was like, no, you can't go swimming in the river without an adult because you'll get swept away and die. <laughs> like, you're like, no, look who's laughing now, Mom. Look who's laughing now. But yeah, so like it has, it has cultural... Pop yeah, culture sure. influence, um, and, and I think part of that nostalgia more than anything is what keeps these movies going. If I had to say yeah. that, anything, yeah. you know, it's like people remember watching the first couple when they were younger and loving them, so they just keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see though. So with that note, I wanted to ask you how you want to go forward with the next ones. Yeah. So well, the the next Fast and the Furious episode will come out when after after the ninth one comes out. So. With that being said, Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Most of them pretty decent movies, except for two. First and third one were pretty good. They really changed They changed the playing field. They leveled the playing field, man. Oh, oh, there was something I didn't... Uh, I, I wanted to mention a little bit of the glorification that goes on that we didn't talk about. But that, that's okay. I'll just... All I will say is that they're a product of their time and they have a tendency to glorify this life. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, and maybe we can talk about that more next time. Well, if you go to a real street race, they're not like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've never been to one. Yeah, I've been I've been to a couple. It's usually people in their, their Honda Civics with their mufflers. They're not really tuners most of the time. They're more like ricers. I didn't make up the term. So a, a ricer is pretty much... What your friend had, he had like a Honda Civic with a with a turbo in it, and then he put a bunch of body kit stuff on it, and none of it actually had anything to do with the performance of the car. It was just there for show. Whereas a tuner is every part of the car that goes on has some correlation with the performance of it. So body kits, spoilers, like all that kind of stuff is meant to increase the performance of the car, not just to look cool. So that's the that's the difference if anybody was wondering what ricers and tuners were. I don't know much about the culture, but I do know that at the time that these the first couple came out, tuner culture was pretty big. Or it was it was getting big anyways, I think. It was getting big, yeah. And and I mean I I've never had my finger to that pulse. I don't know anything about that world. Mm -hmm. Um I mean coming from Calgary, there isn't a gigantic no. street race culture. No. Whereas no. here in Vancouver now, I can tell it's a lot bigger. Mm. I don't personally witness it, but I see a lot of people with cars that you just know street race them or take them to the track. So the culture right. of it in Vancouver is a lot bigger than it is in Calgary. Well, and we um, used we used to have a racetrack here, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, now it's only in Edmonton, which, I mean, it was silly because it kept people from doing it in stupid places. Yeah, exactly. So I You're better off having a track. Yeah, big time. I think every city should have a track. They're like, oh, it's okay. We're in Calgary. We got parking lots. <laughs> parking <laughs> lots and back roads. So any last words? Any last thoughts? I think I've gotten more or less all of it out. Anything that I think I missed would be too much at this point and can maybe be mentioned next time in correlation. And yourself? Uh, no, I think I'm 
pretty pretty good on that fast and the furious one two and three i'd say watch all of them they all got some good things in them and yeah i mean if you if you needed to skip one skip two yeah unless you want to see a really awesome skyline watch two well yeah so with that being said as always there are spoilers contained in this episode so if you don't want these movies spoiled watch them first before you listen to the podcast until next time thanks for listening And remember to like, share, subscribe, inject, snort, chew, do whatever you have to. Eyedroppers. Nose spray. Anything you got to do to share it around. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Do not (laughs) condone the use of injections by anyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.